Hey, welcome to the Rooted to Live podcast. I hope you're doing well and enjoying your summer. Uh, my family recently were able to host my parents uh, who live uh, in Michigan. My family, of course, lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. One of our favorite places to go when they come to visit us is this restaurant called Maggiano's. Maggiano's Italian restaurant, or Italian restaurant, as some of us Midwesterners like to say. And when there is a party greater than eight people, uh, the restaurant encourages the family to order in family style. The family style for us means like salad, calamari, two pastas, two entrees, and two kinds of dessert, which includes probably the best ice cream I've ever had. There's Spumoni. And uh, I dig it. I love it. And... Um, when we go there, I always think to myself, I'm just going to be sensible this time. I'm going to try to not overindulge. And I had before, you know, that kind of way when you eat to the point, to the point where you're like very uncomfortable. And I think, you know, I don't do that anymore. I'm, I'm mature now. I'm in my forties. And sure enough, this last time it's been a long time, but then all I could think to myself after I engaged was I need to get home. I do not feel good. Which brings me to the topic of this episode, self-control. The fact that self-control exists as a characteristic of God implies that there is a battle between a divided self, doesn't it? It implies that our self produces desires we should not satisfy, but instead control. So for some scholars, they interpret this Holy Spirit cultivated character quality really being about our bodies or uh, our appetites. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes that the enemies of the cross of Christ have a destiny of destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their mind is on earthly things. I read that passage and I think to myself, am I, am I an enemy of the cross? Because, man, I can't say no to what my appetites desire and my mind is on spumoni. I guess that counts as an earthly thing. The truth is that when our appetite is the master, then we have a master that will only bring shame and never freedom. However, knowing the truth about what our desires produce isn't enough. It's not enough just to know, like, I shouldn't want what I want, or I shouldn't engage in that, or I shouldn't allow my appetite to be my master. See, people do things all the time they know that will hurt their own bodies or hamper spiritual growth. It's not the knowing that's the problem. It's without self-control, we only serve ourselves, our, our appetites. So what spirit-given self-control does is the opposite of our various appetites. Self-control actually allows us to serve others rather than ourselves. See, for some, it's easy to control ourselves when it comes to things that we don't really want. The problem comes when we have a desire that our, um, that when our desires are like actively set on something. The Greek understanding of this self-control concept or characteristic is power over oneself or self-mastery. The word translated self-control was used to describe athletes at one point. Think of all the discipline it takes to be an Olympic or professional athlete. Uh, history tells us that athletes in ancient times would abstain from common appetites such as uh, like sexual activity or an un- unhealthy diet. Definitely aren't going to Maggiano's before a big race. For the sake of disciplined training exercises, that's why they would deny themselves. This is why Paul makes a then-logical connection for his readers when he writes to the believers um, that were in the city of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 
verse 25, we can read, um, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that I have preached to others. I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So in a sense, it's like saying no even when it hurts. Running from sin, fighting the flesh, pressing on toward imitating Christ, trusting in Him, all forms of self-control. Self-control, then, is the spirit-given ability to have victory over desire with the goal of glorifying God. The spirit-given ability to have victory over desire with the goal of glorifying God. So we glorify God by trusting in Him. That's what pleases Him. Uh, Hebrews 11 uh, verse 6, I believe, tells us that. It's trusting our Heavenly Father with our lives and then living in a way that makes that goal, glorifying God, possible. See, we see this kind of supernatural self-control demonstrated in Christ, don't we? Well, Jesus was in the wilderness. The scriptures tell us that the Spirit led him into the wilderness. After fasting for 40 days, the accuser, Satan, prompts Jesus to eat. I'm sure Christ's body said, I'm hungry. His body says, let's eat. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and then subsequently Christ's mouth say to the accuser, no. Jesus knows that he can't submit to Satan's command. It's It'd be to the expense of compromising the Holy Spirit's leading and, of course, his own Father's glory. This kind of self-control is actually truly unattainable by any human effort. That's why it's of the Spirit of God. But I've thought to myself in the past, the common rebuttal to such thoughts would be, well, why is it a spiritual thing? Can't just anyone make a choice and not do what they don't want to do? Well... For some, I guess the answer is yes, yes. Anyone can say no to gluttony or no to murder or no to theft. But if they haven't said yes to the gift of the Father's love expressed in Jesus, the reason they are saying no is not for God's glory, but their own. So you can see how there's a bit of a misunderstanding here. Self-discipline is the counterfeit fruit of self-control. Just like the plastic decorative fruit people used to display maybe back in the 70s and 80s on a dining room table, uh, that reminds me now, I, I used to like to take the plastic grapes in those displays and like stick the ends, uh, the, the little gaps in those grapes that because there were air pockets, just plastic rubber air pockets and like stick them on the end of my tongue and just wave them around. Didn't work so well with the, the fake apples, but or like used to gnaw on those grapes, gnawing on them. That's all fake fruit, right? And obviously the fake fruit of self-control is really hard to detect, but it's self-discipline. And the difference between self-discipline and self-control is crucial. The difference really is in who gets the glory for the victory. That's the issue. Who, who will get the glory or who will get the glory? The Father or will the self get the glory? If we exercise self-control by faith in Him and our Father, our Heavenly Father, He will get the glory. So truthfully, I need to tell you that I've actually hesitated to share on this topic. Maybe that's been, maybe it's why it's been a few weeks since I've released another episode for this podcast. And I think the reason why I've hesitated to share on this topic is because I have so much more room to grow. And I think the accuser wants me to think that I have no right to speak about a topic that I have no mastery over. 
So I can say back to that, that's a lie, that's false guilt. And so I can share honestly today that there's room to grow in my life and godly self-control. How about you? Consider another passage, same book, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, we were in chapter 9, and looking at chapter 6, we can get some more insight about this idea. Of course, Paul is writing to the believers in the city of Corinth, and they have trouble, these believers do, because they're people. And specifically, this people, this church really struggles with lots of things. And let me read this passage for you in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. Everything is permissible for me, he writes, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with uh, one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All their sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. See, there's a common misunderstanding that Christianity is simply about getting the immaterial parts of us to heaven one day. And that's a huge miss in the gospel of the kingdom of God. There's so much more than just going to heaven one day. And there's so much more than just our souls. It's it's not simply about heaven one day. It's not simply about our souls. It's actually also about right now. And not only about our souls, but our hearts, our minds, our strength, and our bodies as well. So when Jesus paid the price to redeem his people from the outcomes of sin, guilt, and condemnation. It was the ransom, as the text says here, it was the ransom for our bodies as well as our souls. What what does it mean that our body was bought, as the text says? Well, there's several implications as a result of being redeemed, soul and body. One implication is that we ought to value our bodies because our bodies are valued by God. Quite some time ago, some scholars taught that the material, the physical, uh, and bodies are bad. I'm putting it quite succinctly and in a simple way, but some even today subtly possess such views. Sometimes this can be shaped by one's own view of their own body and what's been done to the body or the wrongs that our bodies perform. But So people with such a view put that view on God, but that is not God's view. The Lord made the body, and so to be against the body, what God is for, is to be against God himself. So why does God value our body? That's a fair question. The text at hand gives a couple insights, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. One idea here is that our bodies, one reason why God values our bodies is because our bodies um, are a home to the Holy Spirit. They house the Holy Spirit. That's what verse 19 says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? He's sharing this insight, of course, in the light of the, the context of misusing our bodies and sexual purposes. So when God bought us, he did not just buy us as slaves, but as dwellings. He didn't buy us as slaves at all, but as dwellings. His aim was not to make us work for him, but to make us full of him. Full 
or filled with all the fullness of God, as he writes, as the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3. So our bodies, the reason why God values our bodies, our bodies house the Holy Spirit. Also, our bodies are for the glory of God. That's what verse 20 says. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. We're supposed to use our body in ways that will show that God is more satisfying and more glorious to us than anything the body craves. It's hard, isn't it? It's tough. How can I partner with the Spirit as He does this work of cultivating God's self-control in me? Self-control happens actually when we begin to trust in God, which creates a pathway for the Spirit to give ability or the power to follow through with saying no to that which God has called us to abstain and yes to that which God has invited or commanded us to step toward. For instance, in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, we see that the grace of God teaches us to say no to all ungodliness. And I think all of us know that, even if you didn't know that passage, we know we're supposed to say no to ungodliness. And when we really see and believe that God is for us by grace through Jesus Christ, the power of wrong desires is broken. Therefore, then, the soil in which self-control grows is enriched as we grow in our trust and faith in God, especially in his great love for us. See, this isn't about white-knuckling it or personal morning pep talks. I'm not going to do this or big promises that maybe you or I have done in the past. I'll never do this again. I'll never do it again. I promise I'll never do this again. Which really, of course, keeps our minds now on what we don't want to do. What I mean by that is to think about sin or not sinning either way still has sin on its mind. Rather, self-control It's about getting to know the love of God for you. And then the more you know how dearly loved and lovely you are in God's eyes, the greater your joy or deep-rooted contentment you'll have, the more God's self-control will well up in your inner self. Jesus said that if anyone wants to follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. So daily our self produces desires that should be denied or controlled. And I can promise that in some areas of life that you are seeking freedom from or self-control over, it's going to be painful to overcome. See, we get a taste of what is involved from a unique teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, when Jesus says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. See, this is the fierceness of self-control. Whatever it is you know that has your body in bondage, if it is the thing that you've come accustomed to for comfort or release, maybe the thing that you've come accustomed to for your identity, trusting in God's love for you is the pathway to freedom. So we don't do to get love. We take steps of faith because we're so loved. We deny ourselves. We say no because we're so loved. We're so approved. We're so accepted. So a person will not deny themselves and follow Christ and will not experience spirit-enabled self-control until they trust that God loves them and that he's crazy about them and is especially fond of them. What wins over our hearts, what will lead us to deny self, to honor God with our bodies, with our appetites, is his love, his kindness. And you and I, we're invited to trust in him, in his great love. Thank you.